The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Our text for this morning is Acts 2. Verses 5 through 13. Let me just set it up before we read it. In the last two weeks, Pastor Jason opened up the first four verses of Acts chapter 2. And those verses captured the remarkable moment at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. Jesus had told them to wait for what the Father had promised. And the wait ended in the first few verses of chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit came upon the 120 disciples gathered, and uh, three supernatural phenomena gave evidence of what God was doing in giving the Spirit. Number one, a sound came. Remember the sound of a rushing wind. Number two, uh, the sight of what looked like tongues of of fire hovering over people's heads, and then uh, the ability to speak in other languages. And then verse four of chapter 2 sums it up and says, look, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And now comes our text in verse 5, Acts 2, beginning at verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and Visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. Father in heaven, I pray now, you would meet us in your word this morning. My, 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 my fear, my concern is that some might hear this as a message directed to someone other than themselves. And I, I pray that's not so. In fact, as I think about it more, I think that's less of an issue. You, you have gathered us Bethlehem Baptist, both in the room and connected technologically because we're leaning into your word. We want to hear what your word says to us personally and us as a church. So I I don't think my concern is a major one. So I ask you to speak to us from this text on this Sunday And I pray that you'd send us out with new measures of grace to glorify you in our current context as a local church. I pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. You know, we believe in exegetical preaching, which, which doesn't necessarily mean you have to go through a whole book all the time, but you can exegete a passage at a time. But, but this is one of those Sundays where let's stick with the book we're in and see what the Lord has to say to us about ethnic harmony. So we're taking it right in the flow of Acts, of our series on Acts. And uh, what I want to do, here's the outline. Uh, unit one is, is, let's just go over the narrative again. And I'll make some comments along the way. The second section will be uh, observations, doctrinal observations. What, what is this passage saying to us about God, what, about the gospel? What does it say about the church? And then lastly, implications for ethnic Harmony. So let's do section one, the narrative. Let's walk through the, the text again. I'm going to read it and then I'll comment. Verse five. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Okay, it's the day of Pentecost. And uh, this is admitting there, there are in Jerusalem Jews from all over the known world. You don't need to press that to every nation under heaven, like, like where are the people from Alaska? It's just saying everyone in the known world is there. Uh, devout. These, these, are, these are Jews and Jewish converts, Gentiles, who've become, who've become uh, converted to Judaism from every nation under heaven. They're there in uh, Jerusalem to worship uh, in, in the festival of Pentecost. We talked about that last week. And so the, the way I imagine Jerusalem is, is it's packed. It, it's like a college town that has a football game. You know, the population is tripled or, or not our city when we hosted the Super Bowl because it was like 30 below. But uh, a normal city that hosts the Super Bowl, there's, there's people all over the place. And uh, that's my impression of Jerusalem. And uh, last week we saw how the Spirit came and I mentioned the fire, or what looked like fire, and, and what sounded like a rushing wind. And then tongues came and languages were spoken. And what strikes me is Luke only focuses in on one of those. You know, he, he doesn't write a paragraph on what looked like flames of fire. He doesn't write a paragraph on what sounded like a rushing wind, but he does write a paragraph on the fact that the Holy Spirit came and allowed the believers to speak lang the languages of the world. So the crowds hear the noise. They, they come running to figure out what in the world is going on. Bewildered, verse 6 says, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. What's God doing here? God is taking the spiritual initiative right at the moment the Holy Spirit falls on the church to see to it that Christianity is a world religion. Jesus, the Savior and Lord, is Savior of all the earth and Lord of all the earth, all the, all the peoples. He just sets it up right from the beginning and the news is going to be proclaimed, boom, as soon as the Holy Spirit shows up. Reading from verse 7, the crowd is perplexed. And they have this, this list. Are, are these not all who are speaking Galileans? You know, you know that's part of the wonder of this that, that Jason, I think, mentioned this last week. Ga Galileans 
were, were, were uh, no big deal. They're local yokels. They're, they're uh, simple people, uncultured, uneducated, not world travel- travelers. How could they learn this language? So that's one of the, the mysteries. And then the other mystery is that all these nations that are listed in verses 8 through 11, all these peoples can hear what's being said. Now, l- let's click in on that, that list just so that we... We catch it. I see this as the beginning of the fulfillment of Acts 1-8, or even the beginning of the fulfillment of the Great Commission. It's just so striking to me that at the first moment that the church bears witness to Christ, it bears witness to all peoples. The Great Commission make disciples of all nations. Snapshot <coughs> begins right here. Acts 1.8 You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Snapshot! <coughs> when, I, when you read Acts 1.8 you don't get the sense that that's all going to happen in one moment. At least begin to happen. But it is. It's here. It's here. The list, as I said, is, is the, the whole known world, the whole Greco-Roman world of the day. It includes modern nations such as, we would call uh, Iraq, Syria, Turkey, uh, Judah, Israel, uh, Jordan, uh, d- the descendants of the modern-day Palestinians, North Africans, Egypt, Libya, Arabs and even people from the far west edge of the known world, people from Rome, and even mentions people from Crete, the island of Crete in the Mediterranean. What's the point? God will see to it that the gospel witness will go forth to the world. He's going to do it. It's worth noting that throughout history, throughout church history, this has rightfully been seen as reversing the curse on humanity that God put on humanity at the Tower of Babel. Remember the Tower of Babel? You could turn there if you want to, Genesis 11. Remember this account? It tells of how God cursed humanity with thousands of languages. It was a time when there was only one human language, and the people gathered together with a, a godless bent towards self-exaltation, seeking to build a very high tower out of brick and mortar in honor of us. Verse 4, Genesis 11. They said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed all over the face of the whole world. I'll put it in my own words. Let's build a city and a tower as a display of the glory of humanity so that we can gather all peoples together around the glory of humanity lest we be scattered throughout the the whole earth. The glory of us, the glory of humanity will unite us together. We are awesome. We built this awesome tower. And God will have none of it. Verse 8. 
So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city and the tower. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the languages of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them all or dispersed them over the face of all the earth. There's Babel. We've seen Pentecost, putting them together. Just gonna let Pastor Scholar John Stott put it together for you. He says, at Babel, human languages were confused and the nations were scattered. In Jerusalem, the language barrier was supernaturally overcome as a sign that the nations would now be gathered together, not around a city and a tower, but gathered together in Christ prefiguring the great day when the redeemed company will be drawn from every nation, tribe, people, and language. There it is. That's right. Our text closes in verses 12 and 13 with this phrase, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And others said, They are filled with new wine. What does this mean? So right here, I mean, that's the end of my text. And uh, and so everything in me just wants to just jump in and preach everybody else's sermon for the next five weeks. (laughs) Not going to do it. (laughs) Not going to do it. Uh, Pastor John Piper is going to preach next week on the sanctity of life. And then we're going to spend the next, I think, four sermons on Peter's sermon explaining what does this mean. He's answering that question. But so, I mean, like a good Puritan, let's just go, let's, let's think about the unit we have before us. You know, how the Puritans would just stare at, at a, verses, ver, a verse or a section, and, you know, you know like they'd write whole books on, on one verse just because they kept thinking about it. Well, I'm not that exhaustive. But uh, let's, let's just make some doctrinal observations from what we see in our text. You know, what, is, what does the text teach us about God? I mean, the first thing that I want to say is that it, it teaches that God loves the peoples of the world. God, God is taking initiative, both in the coming of Christ, to seek and to save the lost, to die, to purchase a people for himself from every tongue and tribe. But right here in our text, I was taking initiative that the, the gospel, these witness bearers to Christ, are heard and understood by the people from all over the world. That's glorious. That's glorious. God's missionary heart. Second thing I, I notice, I could have put a verse on that, you probably know. It used to be the most famous verse in America. I don't know how many people even know it anymore. John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The other thing I see is just clearly God's, God's love is not tribal. His love is not tribal. He will not let it be contained. I mean, how easy would it, would it have been for the Jewish disciples to just lock the door, start worshiping, you know, kind of be a little small group. Hey, we're a closed small group. You're not getting in here. And just, God will have none of it. <laughs> God won't let that happen. Not for 
but a few days as they waited for the Holy Spirit to come, and he came, came he did, and kicked open the doors. God's love is not tribal. I just think about God's love being massive and liberal and powerful and uncontained, not rationed, but free. The other thing I see is God establishing a new people. It really bleeds into one of my other points, but, but by this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, uh, enabling the gospel to be spoken to these, this crowd, and then the end of Peter's sermon, 3,000 of these people in the crowd believe And the reference to the prophecy of, of Joel, it all conspires to say God is gathering this new people right here. The new covenant people right here. This unique people, not, not ethnically defined, but defined because they are God's people and God is their God. They are his own and they are united in, in Christ. God is doing that. I'll say it again the other way from our side of it. But that, I see those three things. What, what does it say about the gospel? It says the gospel is for all people. And this is why we have, have global partners of the week. This is why the church is, is and, and awakened to and, and arising to the call to the nations. And uh, it, it's, it's, not, I mean, it's not as though like, hey, God is on our diversity uh, uh, impulse. You know, no, God is on his own thing. And his own thing will be done by the gospel of Christ as he, as he creates a new people who are loved by God, people from every tribe, and then who love one another as they have been loved by Christ. So it's not as though God is doing our thing. Because God's not a you know, 21st century sign up for the diversity campaign. This is not it. He's on his own thing. And uh, the gospel is going to go forward to everybody everywhere. And uh, woe is us if we get in the way of that gospel. What does it teach? What does it teach us about the church? Just kind of hitting it from the other side. The church is a global people. That's what it is. And it, it, I mean, it starts on day one. The church is a global people. It, it grieves me when I hear assumptions about Christianity to the effect that, oh, Christianity is white man's religion. That's a lie. It is a lie. I mean, in this moment, we might maybe call the people from Greece the white people, but in this list, there's not a bunch of white people. I mean, what you, look at, what you see in church history is, is the church moving like, from continent to continent, people to people, and yes, there have been seasons where the church has been largely re- represented in, in the West among Anglos, and yet, do you know now, by 2050, the, the, Pru- the Pew Research Center estimates, estimates that 40% of Christians, by 2050, 40% of Christians will reside in sub-Saharan Africa. 40%. Christianity is not white man's religion. Christianity is for all people because Christ died for people from every tribe. And we are one. 
We are one people in Christ. I, I love Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 has given me so I mentioned Revelation 5, 9 as nuclear power in the beginning. Uh, I have to add Ephesians 4, the first few verses of Ephesians 4, right in the context of Jews and Gentiles in the same church. That can't be easy. Paul goes on to describe the profound oneness that is ours in Christ. One God, one Father. He goes on, one, one Spirit, one Christ. We're just profoundly one. And God has made it so. And one of my takeaways from Ephesians 4 is, is uh, the New American Standard says, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace because we have this profound oneness. So one of my takeaways right there is, oh, ours is not to create unity in the church. Ours is to preserve it and not to ruin it. God has already established it. The church is global and wonderfully complex because of that. Also, we could say from this text, I mean, it's right there in the pattern that the means by which God has designed to get the news about Christ out is the church. It's right there. Is the church. This multi-ethnic people belonging to God who bear witness to the reality of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and, 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 and explain the gospel to people. And just... Jason mentioned this. I just want to circle back to it. The the point is being witness. It's who we are. It's not merely what we do. It is what we do. It's reflective of what we do, but it's who we are. We are his witnesses, and God sees to it that his witnesses will be from every tribe and tongue. So, well, what kind of implications does this passage have on ethnic harmony? I wonder how it landed on the disciples when Jesus gave them the mission of Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even the ends of the earth. So I put myself there. <laughs> Here's what's going on in my head. I don't even know anybody from those places. I don't know anybody. How do I, I don't even have access outside my own family and clan. You know, I don't, I mean, I don't have a bike. They don't have boats. I mean, I don't have a boat. I don't, maybe a few boats. I don't have an airplane. I don't have access. And, and look, even if I did have access, they're not going to be able to understand me. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth, make disciples of all nations. It's impossible, Jesus. That's impossible. Next orders. You got anything else for us to do? <laughs> we can do Jerusalem. We can do Samaria. Maybe if we get up the courage to go where good Jews don't go. Ends of the earth. So I see, I see two things here. God sees to it that the impossible mission is 
impossible. He makes provision for the church to do the impossible mission in at least two ways, by providence and by his power. You know, when the church got the, 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 the mission, little did they know that God would arrange that the peoples from the known world would all be in Jerusalem on one day, the very day when the Holy Spirit is given as promised. <laughs> it's by his providence. And little did they know that their Galilean <laughs> Aramaic language is not going to be a problem because God would enable them supernaturally to speak the languages of the peoples gathered in such a manner that they would hear as in their own dialect. That's crazy. <laughs> the mission is impossible, totally impossible. And yet God is God, and God does the impossible, gathers the world, enables these uh, simple Christians to speak to the world and gain a hearing, and Peter will go on and preach, and 3,000 will be saved. Huh. Is there a parable? Is there a pattern, a uh, parallel for us as a takeaway this Ethnic Harmony Sunday. I think there is. By God's providence, he has overseen this moment in history that we're in. And the moment we're, we're in is marked by globalization and urbanization and those would be a, a general des description of how the, the world is everywhere. I, I, I saw a list of peoples in the Twin Cities. Um, I forget, 160 or so different peoples, 180. The peoples are here. By his providence, God has done that. And, and yet, I want to I add this. That the, that the peoples who are here are here surely by God's design. That's what Acts 17 says, Acts 17, 20, 27, that God arranges the times and the places where people live in order that they should seek him and find him. So then, you know, climb into that and you think, well, what about this moment in history where we're so acutely aware of racial tensions in America, and not just America, all over the world. We're aware that we live in a society in which our multiple races and ethnicities profoundly shape our experiences, our interpretations, our opportunities, our identity, Housing choices, education. And those negative differences are deeply destructive and we grieve over them. And they give rise to, to disharmony in the church and hostility and, and alienation in our communities and in our nation, in our world. 
I want to say that's God's providence right now. He has put us together in multi-ethnic, multi-racial cities, towns, nations, churches. Why? Well, just like the early church in Acts 2, that we might be witnesses of Christ. It's, it's, it's as if, the way it landed on me is the, the backdrop, the platform on which we be witnesses for Christ is now this context of racial tension. So what are we going to do with it? Are we going to just go, well, that's impossible. <laughs> you know, like, like my little thought about the early church. I don't have a bike. I can't go there. Or is God able to do something else by his power? The power that I think the church desperately needs today is something that 1 Corinthians 13 tells us is greater than the gift of the ability to speak in tongues. Get it? The church desperately needs the church or the spirit to fall upon us with a new power, a new gift to love one another and love our neighbor out of the love that we have received from God in Christ and thereby bear witness to Christ. I, th I think... If I, if I align us with this text, I say the providence is God's, or all the peoples of the world are here and near, and the power we need from on high is the power to love. You know where I'm getting that. Jesus links our love with witness bearing. John 13. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See how I'm linking it into witness bearing? Jesus says, well, the new command, you know what's new about the new commandment? Love one another as I have loved you. So we who know the love of God for us in Christ, we have received the love of God for us in Christ, are called to love each other in, a, in the manner that accords or is similar to, reflective of the love that God has for us in Christ. So we bend that outward to other people, and by that, people will know that we're disciples of Jesus. We'll bear witness to him. So I think it fits in our context of racial and ethnic division that the most healing and powerful, miraculous witness that we can bear to Christ is 
by our love, which would underscore the gospel and bring meaning to its words. I know that some have left Bethlehem. It's interesting, you know, as a pastor, I mean, pastors get together, and I work with a lot of pastors across the country with our church plants, and this is not unique to Bethlehem. Um, some people have left Bethlehem in the last six, seven months because we've talked too much about racial harmony, ethnic harmony, and some people have left because we don't talk enough about it. <laughs> well, here's what I want to say um, to you who are here. And I, I, I mean, there's, there are times to leave a church. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not condemning them for doing what's wrong, but here's what I would want to say. Might it be that in God's providence, he's brought us together as diverse peoples? And might it be that the, the power from on high that we need is power to love, that all people would know that we're disciples of Jesus, that we love one another as Christ is loved? Might it be that staying in the context of that, even when it gets hard, brings more glory to the reality of Christ and more joy for you in the long run. So I say, lean in. Lean in. It's not, I'm not going to add, we can do this. We can't do this. <laughs> we need the power of God's love in us. Read First John. Read First John. Well, I do need to say that in recent years, many voices have spoken up to call the nation and the church to repentance and reconciliation. Uh, the longing for racial and ethnic harmony is a really good longing, and the longing and pursuit of racial justice in the world is a very good pursuit. It's a good one. So, I, I distinguish, by the way, racial harmony is what the church is about. We have all the graces of the gospel at work in every one of us as we work on racial harmony. And I, I, I have another category, this is love one another, I have another category called, called racial justice in the world or compassion in the world. And that's the call to love your neighbor as yourself. That's a different, that's a different sphere. And it should flow out of the the love we have for one another in the church as we flow out into the world. But they're not the same. So I want to affirm both, and yet I want to caution you to discriminate. Discriminate among the people, the voices that you hear, the experts that you listen to. Because you know, apart from Christ, there is no real lasting reconciliation. You know this. Secular solutions will not get there. Black nationalism won't get there. White nationalism won't get there. Uh, uh, spiritualized but godless strategies will fail. Think about it. Don't, I, mean, you know, I, I was hearing, I was just observing the calls. You know, we hate hate. We hate hate. Hate hate. Hate hate. What are we about? We hate hate. 
What kind of a society is built? What's your mark? We hate hate. How long before that starts swinging back on us? Uh, it's not enough to be a people that merely hate hate, and it will not miraculously become a loving community or a peaceful community or a just community. Secular solutions have no accounting for sin in each and every one of us. There's no power over our sin in secular solutions. There's no redemption. There's no concept of forgiveness which is burned into every Christian as we realize that we have most infinitely offended God's glory and He has reconciled us while we were His enemies by the death of Christ. He's brought us. We know about forgiveness. We know about reconciliation. Secular solutions have no reconciliation with God, have no approach to reconciliation with one another that has any power, no vision for Christ-like love. I am stretching my time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to squeeze in something. I, uh, I, I just have been so struck that the, the, the public working for justice in the country does not look at all like the civil rights movement led by Martin Luther King. It was led by pastors of black churches mobilizing their churches to, to march and to speak, and, and white believers gathered, it, still influenced by this Christian approach to seeking public justice, and, and, and unbelievers gathered, and, and yet its boundaries, its contours were still Christian. I mean, I, I want you to, to hear this. I posted this on my door. I was so, I don't know, stirred up about it. Uh, I'm going to do this quickly. This is, this is the text of a commitment card. If you want to join Martin Luther King's march, uh, you need to sign this from the, the Southern Christian Leadership uh, Conference. They put together, the, if you want to be a part of this, you sign this card, you sign it, and you're agreeing to this. Okay, you want to be part of the march? Public Seeking for Justice? I'm going to read it now. I hereby pledge myself, my person and my body, to the nonviolent movement. Therefore, I will keep the following Ten Commandments. Number one, I will meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus. Number two, remember always that the nonviolent movement seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory. Number three, I will walk and talk in the manner of love, for God is love. Number four, I will pray daily to be used by God in order that all men might be free. Number five, I will sacrifice personal wishes in order that all men might be free. Number six, I will observe with both friend and foe the ordinary rules of courtesy. Try that online. Number seven, I will seek to perform regular service for others and for the world. Number eight, I will refrain from the violence of fist or tongue or heart. Number nine, I will strive to be in good spiritual and bodily health. Number ten, I will follow the directions of the movement and of the captain on a demonstration. (laughs) 
I just, I just was listening to the voices in and outside the church, and I wasn't hearing love. I mean, I, mean, I lived through this, and uh, I, I heard a friend of our family on the radio, because she's one of the few living people left that was with Martin Luther King, and, and she's just talking about love. It was a crusade of love. I don't hear it. I don't hear it in the world. And sad to say, I don't hear it enough in the church. If, if we're going to be about this, we have to do it Christianly, in and outside the church. I'm not going to read the other one. <laughs> there's, there's another great... I, I preached on Love Your Enemies last June, and, and after I was done, found Martin Luther King preaching on Love Your Enemies a few months before he was killed. And he says, he says, I'm going to love my enemies. Doesn't mean I have to like them. I don't like them when they want to bomb my house, but I'm going to love them. I'm going to love them because God called me to love them. You can look that up. Well, be discerning. Be discerning. My hope is in God. My hope is not in this country, not in America. My, My hope under God is in the church that we will press forward by the power of the gospel, by the the love of Christ, to love one another more and more, to press through, uh, resting on the profound oneness that we have in Christ and in the gospel. And we will talk through and we will listen with respect to one another. And we will will be a reflection of the, the community of the kingdom that awaits us in heaven when we'll gather there forever and ever with us all. In one, as one people, worshiping Christ our Savior and King. And while we're on this planet, I do hope that we would bear witness to Christ in our outward efforts for neighbor love and that it would be tangible and observable that we love people because God loves us in Christ. Without that, It ain't a Christian movement. Let's pray. Father in heaven, my prayer, well, I should praise you. I praise you for your great grace to us in Christ and all that you are for us and all that that means. And I pray for the church today. I pray for Bethlehem that we would be witnesses of the risen Christ, both by our word, our gospel proclamation, our explanation of, of your love for us in Christ, the offer of salvation, but also I pray that we would be witnesses to Christ by our love. In the church, as we persevere in ethnic harmony, and also by our love outside the church, as we work for racial justice and to show compassion to our neighbors. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South 
Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.